What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. guys welcome back to pulse to the wall tonight it's just me mike and tyler weren't able to make it but tonight i'm joined by lb muniz of the ben awake podcast and lb how you doing other than the fat other than the little fiasco with the green screen which apparently looks white <laughs> to you uh i'm having a great and i got a ticket earlier today but otherwise i'm doing great very happy to be here don't know why your co-hosts are afraid to talk to me but i guess you know we can generate some drama off this which is good on twitter <laughs> i hear what was the uh with the ticket for is it in like the city you're in you just said you're outside of chicago but what was the ticket for yeah so it's uh it, it's it's a it's a very close suburb and it's a little on the uppity side um and i it, <laughs> stupid i was like going to pick up food and running another errand and so i was just like gonna walk around the city they got a nice little downtown i drive a van a lot so i always back into parking spaces now it's just like a a habit at this point well apparently you're not allowed to back into a parking spot in this parking lot um and i forgot to pay because i didn't realize you had to pay because i've never gotten a ticket there ever in my life and usually if you're in and out within 30 minutes it's not a problem so i got like 60 dollars worth of tickets because some schmuck decided to um, decided to, you know, walk by and write me up for the ticket. And it's like and it was definitely like a meter made, which got me thinking, actually, as, a, as an interesting question, because I was mad, dude. I was so upset. Um, but I but it got it got me going on the question, which was who's worse? Like what what job is worse? What person is worse? The person who goes to work for the TSA or the person who works as like a meter made, like not even a cop writing a ticket. You know, like like literally your job is to write tickets for people that mean nothing. Literally, I was in this town for 30 minutes. I walked, grabbed my errands. I spent money and I left and I it just and it didn't even occur to me. And of course, as I walk back, there's like six signs that says don't back into the parking space. It's like I didn't see these when I showed up. <laughs> I was on a yeah, mission. I, I can't even understand the rationale for why you'd have that rule in place to begin with. Like don't back into a parking spot. Like I, it's just, I mean, that's like the closer you get to big city hubs, like especially in the, the ritzier suburbs, they have so many arbitrary rules where it's like, they're clearly just looking to generate revenue. And to your question, I think that the, the meter maid is about as low level of a, an existence as you can have, like just harassing people. Like you're not even, it's not even like, you know, if you work for like the, uh, um, like the DEA, like you're, you're busting people for possession or whatever. It's like, okay, that's worse. Like you're, you're throwing people in prison for this, uh, and ruining their lives. But there's something that's just like pettier and scummier about just like issuing traffic tickets. It's just like, I, it just makes my skin crawl. And there's a part of me that says, hey, man, everyone's got to have a job, right? Like, yeah, you know, yeah. So that, that's but that's where I asked the question, of like, because I can I get the TSA thing almost because they do a lot of recruiting and it's decent pay and they recruit in areas where like, you know, it your, your choices are something far worse. But yeah, just this. Um, I don't know. And this is like in a small town where he might be the only one, because like I said, right, right. I go to this place pretty frequently. It's like very close to the town I live in. Whatever. We can move off of it. I was very upset on the drive home and uh, almost I almost yelled at the guy. I almost did because I walked right by him and I saw the direction (laughs) he was going and I did. And I thought about it and then better nature took over and I'm like, I'm not going to yell expletives at this person as I pass by or honk my horn really loud, creating a scene that is 
not that is not the appropriate way to act in in, in what's left of civil society. Yeah, dude. I mean, uh, we could probably turn people even more hardcore libertarian just by telling stories about dealing with like all things Illinois government. It's like, oh, you thought you hated the state before. Just like wait till you deal with, you know, the secretary of state's office in Illinois. Um, well, were you, I mean, we're, we're both Illinois people. Yeah, I was going to say, so you like you don't I grew up in the western suburbs of Chicago, which is far more urban, which is still very like in the city that I grew up in is one of the largest cities in Illinois altogether. Um, which which uh, suburb is it? Aurora. Oh, okay. Yeah. My parents are from Des Plaines. I'm from the Rockford area. Gotcha. So, but like, so like you even live in a different part of Illinois than I do. And, I, and I've lived here most of my life at this point. Um, and at least for the next couple of years, I'm probably not going to move. But it's, it is an interesting, it is interesting with the way that like people talk about governments and the way people talk about like, a, like, like the population where, it, you know, things are different in a state like this. And I travel to yeah. like red America. And I think online we inter we interact with red America. Sorry to keep moving my camera like that. Um, we interact with, you know, you don't, most people don't, but this is, it's a different kind of vibe in a state like Illinois. Maybe it's a dying thing. I don't know, but yeah, there's a lot of those capricious rules and it's, and it, and the closer to the city you go is where it comes. And it, I don't know, it bugs the hell out of me, but I decided at the beginning of this year that when I got a ticket, I would just pay it. And I don't get a lot, mind you, but I got hit with a few at the beginning of the year. And now I got a couple here. And I will say there's something to be said for the fact of like, I did it mostly from a standpoint of being busy and like not needing that hassle in my life. Yeah. Um, or when I got a stupid it. parking ticket or, or a stupid speeding ticket and, you know, you can afford it. But like it, it was it's just it, it did like I used to like put off paying them or go to court or try to, you know, try to like duh, duck and dodge it until all that and it's just i just pay them now and i know it's and it sucks and i hate it every single time that i do but at least i'm not like putting anything against my license or putting my car in jeopardy and you know like i i drive i travel a lot for a living so that's kind of important yeah that's kind of like the uh the curtis yarvin thing right like the clear pill it's like yeah the state sucks just deal with it and and try to not get into confrontations with them i mean i i do the same thing like i've had so many encounters with like the tollway like the illinois tollway people who are just horrendous and hmm. the when I, I had to go to the secretary of state's office i've tried my license expired last may and i've been trying to go they keep like kicking it back like they'll allow you like you know amnesty for another six months but eventually for work, I had to get my license upgraded for, uh, you know, renewed for the DOT things. I have to drive our vehicle sometimes. So I've been trying to go like seven or eight times over the course of the past year on days where I actually have a chance to go. And every time I go to the one in my town, it's like, no joke, four to five hour wait. Like you take a ticket and then it's like, yep, you're maybe four hours, maybe six hours. We don't know who care, who gives a fuck. So it's like, okay, whatever. I'm not going to make it. So last week, I'm like, you know what? This is the Saturday. I have a free Saturday morning. I'm going to get there because they open at 8. I'm going to get there at 6 a.m. And I'm going to be the first one in line. Just bring my headphones, listen to a podcast. I get there at 6 a.m. And there's already 40 people outside the door just waiting. And I'm like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. So um, I come back like at 8. And I'm like, okay, what's what's the lead time just for fun? Maybe I'll just come back at noon by the time you guys close. And they're like, oh, yeah, you probably won't get in today. Like right when they open. I'm like, okay. So I drive, you know, 45 minutes to find a place in a small town where there is no wait. And like when you deal with those people, I'm just like, okay, whatever. I know you're a robot. You're a robot. I'm not even going to try to like berate you or argue with you about the ridiculousness of this. You just kind of like, okay, I'm just going to deal with the state and try to not let my blood boil and move on. There are places, there are a few places on earth I am more upset than at like the secretary of state's office it really does just bring out the worst in me um <laughs> as a person but i think you touched on something important there and i think it's honestly if i if i dare say i don't know what kind of an audience you have but i dare say there is something to this the, like to certain elements of dogmatism within the libertarian ideology where it's like well you know screw these people Right. They're less than human They're And they might very well be, by the way, I'm not I'm not making any claims about that. But, um, you know, they're less than human. They're not worth anything. They're worth confronting, you know, like wasting someone's time, pulling some, you know, pulling a stunt, doing that kind of thing. And I I don't know. There's something in me. It, it's temp, it's temperamental because I'm a very I, I can be a little 
I need to be more bombastic if I want to get any kind of following, it would appear. Um, but I'm a very like, I, I love to argue, but at the same time, I'm very polite. Yeah, I'm, and, in the, I'm the same way. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And so like in certain environments, I'll, I'll push I'll push the issue. But I've and I've worked hard on not pushing the issue like that. But I don't quite like I said, I had a little bit of it earlier today, but I don't quite understand that person who then goes over. And it's in the point I'm trying to circle circle around is like there is something to be said for treating people as human first. And I like I believe that before I believe anything political um yes. or like have or like have any kind of like overarching identity or ideology that kind that you can kind of use to try and map me into your own like consciousness your own sense making apparatus and i don't know i think i think obviously online brings out the worst in us too and to a certain regard but it's it, it is it is an interesting i don't know that's just i don't know that was just kind of what i was thinking is like like i should yell at this person why they probably make like 30 grand a year and if you look at them, they're mostly miserable as it is. Are yeah, these people exactly. really, are these, this is something that I've, um, I'm not that I'm crazy old. I'm only 29, but like I, it is, you, you start when you're getting into the end of your second decade, it's like, oh, now I actually have perspective. Cause I was literally like an infant 20 years. It, you know, it's a complete, it's a weird thing. Life's life's freaking strange, man. But like, it's not, I'm not trying to sound any, like any kind of profound here, but it's, it's just this thing where like, why wouldn't you just be kind and why would you bother like making a scene or like thinking that that's like important to like confront a stranger about something that's like, I don't know, religious, I guess in nature, or I, I don't know. It's, it's, I kind of lost my train of thought in the middle of that, but I don't know where I was going. Sorry. Yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. Like you're, you're just like, and, and I completely agree with you. I mean, as, as fun as it is to like rail against the state and all this stuff or, you know, like the kind of LARPing thing, like in your mind, like you're waging some kind of holy war, like going after your local DMV or, you know, meter made cops at the same time. It's like, this is just the way people are. These aren't the tyrants. These are just like regular people that yes. just took the path of least resistance. It's like government job. They're going to get good benefits, like whatever. They're just, they're going to go home and watch the big bang theory. And they're not going to think about you. Like they're not, they're not out there like trying to fuck anybody over. They're just kind of like getting through their day. So like, yeah, I completely agree with you. It's like, I've, I, I went through a phase when I was like, 1920 where it's like, I wanted to argue with every cop and like DMV worker I ever came across and then you realize, like, first of all, it's just fruitless. So if something is completely fruitless, like you're not going to change their mind and you're not going to change policy. So just like from a utilitarian perspective, like what is the point of doing this? Like, what are you going to gain from this confrontation? So I kind of left all that behind. And uh, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's a pain in the ass, but so are a lot of things in life. And, you know, like you said, just first of all, treat people with respect and, and kind of go from there. And if you want to influence anybody, that's kind of the person that you have to be. You know, one thing, and I'm sure a lot of people, a lot of people have this, but like, I have a tendency to try and take things apart in my mind, like ideas, concepts, things people say. Um, and, and like, and it's very easy, especially if you have anxious, some anxious tendencies. Um, if you have some anxious tendencies, it's, it's easy to, it's easy to overthink, right. And like worry too much about something or to obsess over things like obsessive thoughts are, are kind of, are, are one of the things that, are, that go with that. And one thing I realized this was during this was like last year when everything was shut down and it was really hard. I was still working, but it was like really tough to try and find any business. And like nobody was using the product that we had or if they were, it was very, very small. Um, and we weren't really set up to have the sales staff completely remote all the time or even, though you know, even though I travel a lot. So, it's you know, like a lot of stressors. Right. And I realized that I would be talking with a coworker of mine and we would just complain and listen. I am the first person to say it is a good thing to have a bitch fest every now and again. <laughs> yeah. I, I am a hundred percent a believer in it. I do it. I love it. Um, but I, but I have to say it in the proper context, like a friend of mine and I were talking last night and, and he was kind of like saying, I'm like, but, you know, I'm like going back and forth with them. And he's like, no, listen, I'm just trying to bitch. I'm like, Oh, okay. Bitch away. Like, that's fine. Because sometimes you need that. I just need to complain about what's happening to me right now because it's so ridiculous. And I can't believe this is the case. You know, so like that, there's a place for that. I'm not saying there, there's a time and place for all things, but what I realized as it related to my work and I've incorporated this into other elements of my life as well, but is I would problematize everything, right. To use, to use a word from academia, like I would turn everything into a problem and I would take everything apart in the business. And I wasn't 
offering any solutions. And one thing that philosophy, that ideology gives you, in effect, no matter what ideology you choose for yourself or what, what, ideology, choose, what ideology chooses you, as it were, what it gives you is the ability to deconstruct the world, to break it into constituent parts. And depending on what lens you have, you're going to put it in a different, uh, depending on what lens you're using, the constituent parts might look different. So you can take things apart. That's that's not difficult to do. Like I was trying to figure out how the recessed lighting thing worked in my place and I took apart one of the lights. You know what's been kind of difficult? Putting it back together. Putting it back together. And you talked about wasted energy before, right? You talked about wasting energy as a kid. Like I'm just going to have this pointless argument with a cop. Again, we're not talking about some moral tragedy that you witness and you're, and you're like standing up for what is right. It's just, I'm going to go pick a fight because this guy pulled me over because I was going too fast or I you know, didn't turn my turn signal on or he's going to claim I wasn't wearing my seatbelt. It could be crap. Like I'm not saying, again, the reasons why it could be awful, horrible, not what I would agree with, unethical. That's not my point. The right. point Two is things my, can be true at once. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Multiple things can be true at once. The point is the wasted energy and like potentially putting yourself at risk, putting yourself in, in harm's way. And, you know, and so like, that's, that's the cost. Well, what's the benefit, right? Like you were saying, there really is, you kind of realize after you do it a couple of times and some of this is experience that it's not worth having that conversation with the person. Um, and as this relates to the point I was talking about before is I've tried to adopt because at beenawake.com, I try to write about news. Well, I don't try. At beenawake.com, I write about news, mindset, and philosophy. And part of the mindset thing for me recently has been trying to operate in a solution-oriented frame. So when I find myself going down that anxious rabbit hole of thoughts, the obsessing over a problem and breaking it down, and oh my gosh, how could this person be so stupid? And if I was in charge, I would be able to figure this all out for myself, and there would be no issues and stuff like that. I try to stop myself and I say, okay, let's stop complaining. What's the solution here? What's the solution oriented? What's the solution orientation that I can use? And it it's taken some work, but it actually does have some payoff if you can kind of retrain your brain that way because you start to catch yourself. And, and one of the things that goes away is like Facebook arguments. One of the things that goes away is unnecessary Twitter beef. Like I said, I'm going to call out your co-host for the things that they said about me off air. Um, but again, you know, just cause uh, just trying to bump up the likes, man, it's just for fun. Like literally I've never, I don't think I've talked to either of them. Um, but like, you know, so like you can do it for that. You can do it for the show. And that's kind of, I think that's one of the things that we saw. Cause like, you know, there used to be those, vi they're not used to be, I'm sure they still exist, but for a while, those videos were really popular where you would like open carry and then the police officer and be like, no, sir, this is actually completely legal. And, and then like, I think, um, Oh gosh, such a nice guy. I can't believe I'm blanking on his name right now, but from um, Perez, Lou Perez, um, yeah. like Lou Perez's sketch of like Sam Patriot is just perfect where it's like, okay, dude, look at the irony of what you're doing and how silly you really look. And you think that you're keeping people safe. Um, the solution oriented and mindset though, is just a thing of it, it works and it works in all things. And it kind of, and if I found it to be very helpful in like, stop, like I said, kind of stopping myself, what do you think? Yeah. You know, so, okay. When you were talking about like that solution mindset, um, this is something that one of my favorite books I've ever read. And I try to incorporate this into, uh, Brazilian jujitsu. Um, have you heard of Josh Waitzkin? He was like the child chess prodigy. Okay. No. So, okay. So it was in like the eighties. He, they actually wrote a book or they made a movie about his life called searching for the next Bobby Fisher, the guy who like beat all the Soviet chess champions. Um, this kid, when he was six years old, his mom took him to Central Park in New York and he was watching two old men play chess and he watched him play like a full game. He's like, can I play? And then his mom's like, oh, no, no, he doesn't know how to play, like pay no mind. And they're like, no, he, he can play. So he plays this old man, this old chess hustler and like is figuring out the game as he goes. And and the old man was getting pissed at the mom. He's like, you're hustling me. This kid's a prodigy. Like you're, he's like, she's like, I swear to God, he's never seen chess in his life. And uh, basically like the whole park had gathered to watch this kid play and right away the the guy that he played like he ends up beating paper and fast forward five years he's winning world championships for like under 17 chess and he just like completely destroys the chess world before he quits when he's like 16 or 17 and then wow. he gets into uh tai chi push hands like this martial art 
And within three years, he won a world championship. And then he gets into Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which te- technically or usually takes like 10 years to get a black belt. And he gets his black belt in four years under Marcelo Gar- Garcia, who is like the most decorated competitor of our generation. And so basically, like whatever this guy does, he just like destroys, like he masters things in like a fraction of the time that it should take. And so he wrote this book, The Art of Learning. And that was a long preamble to what I'm about to say now to bring it back to what you said. But in The Art of Learning, he talks about like having that mindset. He's like, most people hit a stumbling block in their life and their day-to-day existence, and they just stew on it and they just can't get past it. He's like, you know, what the way to to tackle things is like, okay, here's a problem. It's like, I'm not even going to think of it as a problem. This is just what it is. Like, are you going to sit there and, and bitch and complain or are you going to overcome the problem? And he talks about like adapting this to, uh, he was on Tim Ferriss's podcast like a year or two ago. And he has a son now. He's like, his son is like five or six. And he was talking about how he's like trying this experiment where he's trying to like get his son to never even have like negative thoughts from the jump where it's like raining outside. And he's like, oh, like Jesse, like, look, it's, it's raining. And he's like, and his son will go like, oh yeah, it's, it's puddle. We can go play in the puddles. Like whenever anything bad happens, it's like just classic turn lemons into lemonade kind of thing. And I think that, that like, that mindset is just so advantageous to have. It's just so much easier said than done. Cause like you said, it does feel good to bitch. And sometimes I'll give myself 30 seconds to just rail about something. And then it's like, okay, now I'm moving on. I don't have any emotional attachment to the issue. I move past it, but bitching does feel good. Yeah. Right. And there's, and like, you know, one of the reasons why it, it, and as you point out, it's, this isn't like a, it's profound, but it's not unique. Right. It's something that a lot of people have realized. And if you listen to very successful people, you hear them say it in different ways. And I wouldn't consider myself there, but that's where I hope to be one day as a successful person. Right. Um, Right. On that path. Yeah, exactly. And so that's it's about orientation. It's about the trajectory, as it were, of like, where do you want to where is it that you actually want to be? Where is it that you actually want to end up? And it's a pretty daunting thing. And, you know, I'll say just firsthand, it was not fun the first time I had to, like, contend with that. Um, but I was going to bring up the point of the other reason is that, you know, like, cause I call myself, uh, I've, I've studied skepticism in particular. That's the school of philosophy that I most closely align with and as epistemologically speaking, at least. Um, so I'm very, I have, which is to say the easiest way of saying it is, well, there's a few easy ways. That's kind of the point <laughs> is, um, <laughs> is, is, uh, like, so Socrates is known as saying the one thing I know is I know nothing. Right. That's kind of his claim. Technically speaking, though, that's not that's not actually a claim because you are making a claim to knowledge. You're saying that, you know, you don't know anything, but it's a translation error thing. So the updated version of that might be the one thing I know is I know nothing, even that I don't know anything. Um, So another way of saying it is like you're it's uh, epistemic humility. So it's the idea that I'm always open and I'm always open to taking new information. And while there may be an eternal objective truth world out there. I can't be cons- I can't be convinced that what I'm actually taking in is that world. So there's a couple there's a couple options you're faced with at that point, which is, one is to just basically follow convention, which is you know fair enough in many respects, and I think that's what many people really really do. Um, but then the second one is to try and build the best arguments for as many things as you can. And if you try to build the best arguments for stuff, then you can have beliefs, and these beliefs can inform the way you operate in the world. Uh, and so like, I have that in, I kind of just have that in myself, right. It's like a very, like, again, that constant question, that constant breaking things down. And it has, it has a, it has a detriment, right? If you overthink things too much, where is the action? It's a, right. There's a limit. There are limits to everything. I like to say limits are the beginning point of freedom. Actually, we can, we can get into that. But the one thing I've kind of settled on recently is, is the idea of like practicing skepticism, the way one would practice medicine right? Doubt before ascent. So it's the matter, it's the matter of, tra- again, training yourself when you're taking an information to say, okay, why am I being presented with this information? Not, not what is the information? Why is this information being put in front of my face right now? Especially when it's from a major institution, like, like, a, like, a, like a press outlet or, or a government agent. Like, why are they putting this in front of me? Um, but also, why are the people in my life talking to me the way this is, right? Why is it that, why is it that you know, when I go over to my uncle's house, I don't really feel comfortable and I drink too much or, or whatever the case may be, right? Like, why is it that this person annoys me more than somebody else? 
because as our minds are naturally suited to just taking things for granted. That's we have no choice because again, you can't, I'm not trying to offend anybody here with this statement. And I'm, there are people out here who get, who, who will get really upset by it, but like you, I don't, you, you don't, we don't know what the objective truth of the world is. We have a lot of ideas. We have some ideas that are better than others, but we don't, we can't really say that we know, right? I tone, um, Newtonian physics revolutionized the world. And then Einstein came up with relativity. And then now we're at the quantum level. So even physics, even the thing that portends to study the thing of this world, there are still gaps in knowledge and they, and they question the degree to which like what matter actually is and what, and what it looks like. We don't know what, and these are, again, this is, this is taken for granted every single day because it has to, because we have to act. We have to figure out how to do things in the world. There's nothing like this isn't some like sometimes I feel like people taking this information and it like brings on catastrophe in their minds. And that's one of the reasons why they'll either reject it or they'll, you know, or they'll just not want to listen to it. But it's it's just the way things are. It was um, I heard somebody say recently, I don't know if it was on Twitter or on a show or something. I think it was I think it was Stephen Messina from Kingpilled. Um, he said something to the effect of like, if it's not what is it if it's if it's reality and we can get into what reality is but like if it's reality it's not really a black pill and i i bemoan the entire idea of a black pill i don't have any time for pessimism or nihilism in my life um i'll happily have an academic discussion about it but i'm not really interested in in indulging in it because because life is too short to hold hate in your heart and if you're going to be miserable all the time then what's the use and, and right. i i say that i say this is aside from depression this is aside from real like you can be sad like i lost my grandfather recently and i I've, I've been sad and i've been remembering him and stuff like that so it's like that's not the point the point is i don't i'm not going to i'm not going to indulge in pessimism i have too much to accomplish and you should yeah. too yeah no i and that's the like i get so annoyed with people who are black pilled it's like you know if you don't if you like, don't think that we have a chance of winning. And when I say we, I, I say we as a very broad term and also winning as a very broad term. But it's like, if you think that we're just like destined to be in FEMA camps in a year from now, it's like, get the fuck out of here. Like th that's such a loser mentality. It's like, even if, even if like things are going to be worse, like for sure, you can make an ironclad argument that the world's going to be very dystopian in three to five years. It's like, okay, well, even if that's an inevitability, like let's prepare for the softest landing we can and setting up a better future after that or putting ourselves in a, a good position to survive it. But just sitting there and, and having like this pessimistic worldview is just, it's just a, a giant rain cloud that it's, it's like, I really don't have a lot of patience for it. Um, Cause I mean, you know what, like, are, are you a bears fan? I'm Are you a football fan. This, I should I'm say the, I'm not really a football fan, but but I know okay. the Bears, and, and I would root for I root for the Bears. <laughs> right, you know, right. So this area, unless I do like Tom Brady, though. Yeah, that was a that that jump will make sense in a second. But one of the things that you learn about being a Bears fan, it's like you know that you're going to have your heart broken this year. You know they're going to suck. You know all that those things are going to happen, but you still show up and and try to problem solve and move forward. Right, like sitting there and feeling sorry for yourself isn't going to get you anywhere. And, um, oh, one thing I wanted to, to ask you about, so you're talking about like the nature of reality and how we're never sure of anything. Would you say that that branch of skepticism kind of runs parallel to postmodernism? I think postmodernism has a lot of skeptical elements. Um, far be it from me to try and speak against somebody as intelligent as Thaddeus Russell. Uh, and so I'm not like, I don't want what I'm saying to be construed as that. This is just my own personal conception. So postmodernism incorporates skepticism, but a specific kind of skepticism. And it's a skepticism of, of, of effectively meta narratives, right? So like the underpinnings of, of society. When I was reading through postmodernism and like, and a lot of the accompanying art of the time and kind of like the mood and all that kind of stuff, it was actually, it's skepticism is older than that. It's re it really is. It's, you know, if we look at human history and if we look at these schools of thought, there have really always been these clashes within society whenever it gets to a certain point. So like there, I would say there's corollaries with a lot of the postmodern thinkers, but like what I, what I try to cultivate and why I call it like a practice is, is the doubt is the, the principle of doubt and the principle of doubt before ascent. Cause Basically, 
I disagree with almost all of the conclusions of most of, of many of the postmodernists, or if not the postmodernists, certainly their followers, right? Because you can't really, I, it's it's very difficult to restrict um, postmodernism from the left, and it's very uh, to ext- explicate, like to remove it. It's very difficult to remove postmodernism from the left and postmodernism from Marxism. But maybe I repeat myself. So like it's it's very. I I know that there's the pure theory and I wouldn't pretend to be an expert on it, but like I had already read academic skepticism goes back to, if you like Socrates or certainly the third Academy after Aristotle and Plato. So like, that's kind of where it was also very common. Um, So like I, so tell me what you think about that and then we can go on. Cause I wanted to make sure I was, I answered your question. No, you did. And not just dodged it. Yeah. No, I think um, like, yeah, you said, there's probably some overlap, but I, I got what you're saying there. Like the conclusions are completely different and it's, it's like starting from a different, you know, fundamental, uh, premises. So yeah, no, I, I like it. Yeah. And like, you know, for example, I take, I make claims outside of like a strictly skeptic, skeptical frame, right? Like I might make some assertive claims. I, I, it's, it's, it's me for me. It's not so much as like, this is the end goal. And I would say that skepticism is the beginning point for pretty much all philosophy, because without it, without without a little bit of skepticism, without questioning what something is, um, and I've tried to put skepticism as well into an evolutionary framework, and that'll probably get better over the next year as I continue to work out these ideas. But um, it's 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 not the point of again, like because postmodernism again, it kind of breeds this nihilism aspect, and I know people would disagree with that, but certainly a lot of the followers do, and it's like, oh, isn't how isn't everything so terrible? deconstructionism is a part of postmodernism. And we just had a conversation about how I try to think in terms of solutions. And I do that as a skeptic. I use it for, I basically use the tool for good instead of evil, right? Like I'm not interested in tearing things down that people have built up, even if it's in with few exception, even if it's something I disagree with, right? It's not, it's not my first choice to just go and take something apart because somebody else is doing something. I think this traces back to the point we were making about not harassing a random DMV worker or a, or a meter maid. It's like, Hey dude, you're working. You're not the guy bugging me on the street for change. So, I mean, you're doing, you're doing something decent. You might be doing an awful thing. Um, and I guess, it, I don't know, that's just kind of how I, how I look at things. But so it's, it's not the case that it's this, um, hopelessness inside of it it's it's for me it's a more ancient it's a more ancient idea and an ancient process i guess so we've been talking for about a half hour and i'm I'm starting to get kind of a sense of uh where you're coming from like where you kind of fit in in the liberty movement but where would you say you fit in i mean because right now i i like to say that i like to take a little bit of everything from everybody like i i admire and appreciate and listen to people who are in totally opposing camps like they're sort of like the mises caucus like political activism people and you know they're trying to red pill the masses even though i think that may be um a a very a a big fool's errand possibly in the end you know we'll see i mean i I hope they're successful but then there's also like the kind of like jason stapleton pete canona's like build your wealth power and influence then there's like the agorists and then there are people who just argue on twitter so where would you say you fit into that broader those broader camps or do you not fit into any of them at all I've been thinking about this question a lot recently, actually. So it's a good one. Um, but, and, and my, and my answer is my answer is this first, and then I can, we can get into more detail, but like, firstly, my sword is my own. Like I'm, I'm not, I I'll, I'll hang out with people, uh, you know, even vir- virtually what, what have you, I'll talk to people. Um, but, and, and I'll even like have some allegiance to different people in different situations. Right. Or I'll thank people for what they've done for me. Um, specifically if we're talking about bigger names in the space, but, but at the end of the day, I, I consider my sword, my own, right? Like my, what I'm doing is, is different from what most people are doing right now in the space with few, with few exception. Um, and you named, you named a couple of them, uh, when you, when you spoke, like what, what I'm doing is, is unique. It's not quite what anybody else is doing and it, and it approaches the situation from a completely different frame in many respects. Um, like what I like to say, it's funny. You ask like where I fall in the Liberty movement. I'm just in it, I guess. Like that's just kind of where I've ended up. And I'm interested in the idea of identity and this kind of all plays in, but like, I like to say that the last thing, and I've said this for years before I was listening to a podcast from like 2014. I'm not trying to like, this isn't 
now this is i'm trying to brag i've taught i did this again back in like 2014 2015 and a friend of mine were literally having the conversation that we're having today in the and, and there's just more there's more connective tissue now in the movement to where the conversation is happening and we were faced with a reality that we couldn't ignore namely the lockdowns of 2020 and the complete and civil rights died in 2020 the the liberal world order in the best possible sense of that term died in 2020 to be slight to be only a little bit dramatic so like i think a lot of people had to face facts and what i'd like what i've been saying recently is that liberty needs a software update so like that and that's and i and i see people working on that and i'm talking to some you know and i'm talking with those people but i wouldn't but i'm not part of somebody's camp um the last thing i am is a libertarian because there's so many more aspects to my personality there's so much more that makes up who i am and listen these ideas of freedom and human flourishing and austrian economics have been super helpful and super clarifying to me and and just enriching intellectually and and, and all of that like i'm not this isn't this isn't taking anything away from the ideas um but but they need to be updated like right now we have like what five generations working together at once like i don't think that's ever really happened at least you know you got the boomers are still around right you got gen x you got millennials you got zoomers all in the workforce at the same time all of like productive functioning ages because of the way medicine has worked when has that ever happened in human existence i don't think it has and i think that generational lens um lends a lot to the conversation right i think applying these ideas in like uh, we can we can put it in a political frame if you'd like but like but 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 if we try and approach these things from a different perspective which is kind of what i've been working out with um with my pantheonic approach and with my trinitarianism uh and then the parrot and paradox of identity is where a lot of it starts so these are ideas that i've been trying to flesh out and work out over the pages of beenawake.com where you can subscribe with your email address um as where i've been trying to like use these and then you use these as tools to try to attack the world so so like that's where i like again i kind of come at i don't like a lot of similarities to a lot of really smart people and so what i look for are smart people to talk to and listen to more importantly (coughs) and when i listen to them i listen for similarities between smart people and i try to put that together as best i can but am i in a camp i mean i'm certainly i certainly know where i stand at the moment and but i'm also not trying to make enemies if that makes sense yeah Uh, no i i completely get that that's that's where I was going to say I sort of fall. And when you're talking about like reading Austrian economics and everything, I, I was kind of in the same thing. I mean, I, I, when I went down the rabbit hole, like really went down the rabbit hole, um, I'm 27. So in, in 2016, I found Dave Smith on Rogan's podcast and then like, you know, started listening to part of the problem. And then I started reading like Rothbard anatomy of the state and like, and all these guys. And it's like, oh, I couldn't believe, like I was reading about the Fed and my blood was boiling. And it's like, I'm, I'm 22 years old at the time. It's like, at a certain point, I'm like, you know what? I need to be working on my resume and like, you know, getting getting a better job and like positioning myself for the future better. And, you know, it's, it's fun to read about these things and they are valuable tools, like understanding like the business cycle or at least like the most compelling um, theory behind the business cycle, I think is valuable. Like it, it's like, maybe it'll tell you like, when you should buy a house or, you know, what you should be putting your investments in or how much you should be investing in what markets. Like it's not useless information, but like you said, um, the, the praxis of like all of these things and, and taking in the different generations, I think is a really important thing. And like, like you said, also not making enemies with people. Uh, that's, that's sort of where I'm at too. It's like, I feel like right now I'm sort of a lizard shedding my skin, like reading the same old libertarian literature and everything. It's just not satisfying to me anymore. Like you, you can pretty much master it and inside a few years and then it's like, okay, what are you doing now? Like, what's the next part of applying all of this knowledge that you've kind of gathered like a squirrel, like gathering nuts for the winter. So like right now I would say within the movement, I try to be friendly with everybody, you know, I'm not in it to make enemies. Like you said, the same thing, but at the same time, it's like, okay, but what do we do about this? And, and is it a, we thing? Or is it just like, you know, now you understand how the world works and you can go ahead and attack it head on with the knowledge that you have. 
Well, is it a we thing? That's a good point. That's an interesting point. And I think one of the thing one of the things that I'm going to try to work on a little bit and to try and put something up as a frame for people to to play with and then hopefully interact with, but is is like re re reexamining what libertarianism is. Um, because what is it? If you were to ask Walter Block, he would say it's a strict legal theory. Is that really what you and I are talking about? Like that's why I'm so interested. That's why I call identity a paradox, right? Because it is the case that whatever an identity is, and like, and we, and I have some, you know, it's like the thing that makes up who you are, right? And like, there's two different ways, there's two different elements of this. Again, there's not one solution. Skepticism is about there being two answers, there's being at least two answers to everything. We have this idea, there's these words in um, philosophy here, I'm just going to give you a bit of a roundabout, but it's worthwhile. There's the deonto- ontological and deontological. Now, before that, or a priori or posteriori, like that depends on what formulation you want to use. Each one, depending on who you're talking to, is going to have slightly different meanings of it. But effectively, ontology is the process of becoming. And for most of human history, we had a deontological view of the world, which is these things are taken as given. This is the truth. That What I'm giving you is the truth. And if you think of your identity as like a building that you have on a plane of existence, that kind of like, kind of like Doctor Who's TARDIS that like, or the do- Doctor, wow. I've watched every episode. The Doctor's <laughs> TARDIS. Um, the, tar- the Doctor's TARDIS, you know, kind of like it can travel with you and has everything inside of it. There's two out, there's at least two elements of that. And one is like what's kind of built there before you arrive. And then there's what you attach to it. And that's the, what you, what gets there before you arrive is deontological. What you attach to it afterwards, that's ontological. It's a state of becoming. And these things become, these things eventually make up your identity, which is a complicated, which is a multi-layered complicated process, right? Um, one thing we certainly, libertarianism has effectively become an ideology. It's gone from, uh, an identity, excuse me. It's gone from being six people in Murray Rothbard's living room. Because Mises didn't call himself a libertarian, maybe in some respects, the way that Jesus never called himself a Christian, dare I say. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, not I trying like to get, not trying to, this is nothing about our Lord and Savior that should be taken, that, that shouldn't be taken as an insult to our Lord and Savior. Um, but like, you know, Mises didn't call himself a libertarian. He didn't need to. It wasn't, it wasn't required for the time. But it's gone from that, from where it was there to this whole internet culture. I mean, not for nothing, you know, maybe it's, I don't know, what What do some of the big accounts have? Dave's got like over 100K on, on Twitter. Yeah, What's somewhere have? around there. Two, a quarter mil, maybe? Yeah, probably. I think they're both around 200, probably. And, you know, like, while I know Malice doesn't claim the identity libertarian, it would be kind of, it, it, you know, he he's still he's still swimming, right? His sword, Malice's sword is his own, right? But he's moving along with, with the same groups of people, um, is what I'd say to draw an analogy to what I said before. So... I think, but I, and I don't think li- in, maybe in some respects, libertarianism shouldn't have become an identity. Cause like, yeah, and maybe, no, I hear and, and, and maybe in some respects, this is something I've been thinking about a lot recently of how like, it began, and I've wondered why, like, why, why are we seeing what we're seeing right now? And I think one of the reasons is Rothbard was an intellectual. He was an academic. His, his, the, the, his next, the next generation were all academics as well. Third generation, still very academic, but this fourth generation, and maybe the numbers are wrong, but there's there eventually it reached a generation where it broke. It actually pierced into popular culture. Now calling yourself a libertarian doesn't mean that you've read a lot. And there's, and there's an element of that, that always, that will always happen, right? As things become more popular, everything gets watered down. Um, And I don't know that, like I said, I think it's kind of an accident. I've, I've been thinking, honestly, I haven't written about this. So this is fresh for your show, but I like, it's kind of, it's almost like an accident of the internet. Because you could still have, like, I could still love the Mises Institute, but like, if I don't have any friends that are libertarians, or if I don't connect with like the Twitter sphere or have the show or something like that, and I'm just hanging out with people in like rural suburbs of Chicago, is it really that big of a deal? Right? Like, 30, 40 years ago, it was the case that people didn't really think of their political ideology as, as that important. It was something that they did, but it wasn't as it wasn't as um, it, it wasn't as important as it was today. It, ju- it just wasn't right. It wasn't it, it wasn't something that somebody was necessarily going to walk out on you on a date or something for or like disown you disown a family member for again yeah. with exceptions. So like I've kind of been like looking at this libertarianism thing and wondering like, is this just kind of an accident of the Internet? 
but it's real, right? Like there are tens of thousands, millions of people perhaps who agree with the message and maybe millions more that would. Um, but it's, it, but it kind of put again, like that's why like the, it's like, I think that's a different frame to really try and put things in. Um, and this is, this is what struck that is because you were saying, where do I fit in the Liberty movement? I'm like, dude, I'm trying to figure out where I fit in with society. I'm trying to figure out where I fit into the civilization, into this country, right? Like I, one thing that I've noticed and I'll, and I'll, I'll, I don't care. Come after me for this because I'm right. Is that the liber, whatever this thing is libertarian. I just use libertarianism just works. It, there are a lot of people who call themselves libertarians that I don't like, but the paradox of identity requires that like identity is like, I can ascribe all of these good things to an identity and all these bad things. And you can have the complete opposite effect, or you could even have the effect of where like you, you ascribe other good things and other bad things. And we completely disagree with each other. And yet what we call ourselves, we call ourselves the same thing. And maybe, maybe being a Catholic helped me see this. Cause there's a lot of competing elements within the church to where if you were in a more, if you were raised in a more Protestant faith, maybe you bounced around a lot and they were part of different hierarchies. So yeah, like, no, I, I, I was going to say, I, I like how you bring up the, uh, the Catholicism thing. I was also uh, raised Catholic and I, I do see that same thing. And when I use the word libertarian, it's like, I, I use it only with people that understand what it means. Like if I say like, oh, he's a libertarian. I say that to you. You'll be like, okay, so I know he fits under this broad umbrella. And then we know that there are these different branches within it. And like you said, it's sort of the accident of the internet where I, I, when you said that it clicked, like it's become an identity rather than an ideology. Cause it's like, to me, it's like, okay, what it really is, is like, okay, on public policy, it's like, here's the libertarian versus authoritarian spectrum and a policy can fit anywhere on that spectrum. And my, my thing is like, I'd like to see it fit more in the decentralized, like libertarian end of things. But I've really, especially over the last couple of years, really tried to stay away from the label for myself, libertarian, because most people don't even know what you're talking about, right? If they're not, if they're not like schooled and, you know, political thought, which is most people, it's, it's just not going to be a very useful descriptor. Maybe they just picture Gary Johnson for a minute. I mean, who knows, but I, I like how you kind of broke that down. Like it, it has become uh, an identity and, and a very sloppy one at that. And uh, I, I don't know where to go from here. I, I really don't know where. And there are a lot of people that like, to me, the, the camp that I'm drifting toward is like, okay, use this knowledge to actually like prepare a better life for yourself. And then there are people that, and God bless them, but they just enjoy like throwing red meat to other libertarians. And it's like, okay, it's just a sort of a circle jerk. Like it's not getting anybody anywhere. So as far as like the epistemology of this, you know, school of thought, this philosophy that we're inheriting in this like newest generation, um, it seems like there's a bit of an identity crisis on what to do with it. Uh, and again, but I will say for good reason. Yeah. Yeah. It needs because to happen. The world is because the world is changing and it's changed and it's been changing really, really fast and it's changing even faster. Now um, we we have these moments of calm, but again, like when, when the, when the time is, when the stories are written about this time, right? Like when the stories are written about this time, it will seem super fast. All the things that we're seeing right now, because we're seeing the early, early stages of it. And again, I think, I think I've, I've, I've put out there as a date, I could, but from reading other people and, you know, kind of like trying to approximate, it's like 2014, 2013, 2014 is when is, is really one of the areas that they're going to mark. There'll be the early nineties is the precursor. And then of course, before that, it'll be the sixties. Okay. Well, what, you know, sixties Khmer Rouge, we have this complete social uh, revolution, social transformation. You have, uh, uh, you know, wasn't that during the great leap? Wasn't that the great leap forward in Mao's China too? If, if yeah. I think that was the sixties. That was the communist revolution in Cuba. That's when my grandparents came over here. Um, late 50s early 60s you have the 90s the fall of the soviet union you had the 2001 the twin towers 2016 the election of donald trump in 2020 the year the year of uh well we all know what happened in 2020 um so like these are defining moments in people's lives and so it's well and good that we have the conversation and i would say certainly um there's a tendency to, towards dogmatism in every set of ideas, but as a libertarian, as a libertarian, as a skeptic, I fight, I fight dogmatism, right? Like, and not fight into like, there can be good dogma. There's plenty of good dogma out there, but that doesn't yeah, mean sure. you don't question it. 
and good dogma stands up to questioning. The best dogma does. Um, and so, like, yeah, it's it's where it goes is kind of obvious in a sense. Like, is is the most easy easiest practical thing to me. Like, like you know, we, we we I meant I said the piece I did before, but like I'm part of Jason's Jason Stapleton's Nomad Network. Um, like, so, and if you want to come in, let me know so I can give you my link so that that way I can recruit more people than somebody like Matt. Um, but like, <laughs> but like, you know, so like I'm part of it. Like it does start with you making yourself better. Jordan Peterson was like, man, but if Jordan Peterson didn't predict so much, I mean, we've been, I haven't, I don't think anybody else has talked about this. Maybe it has happened, but I haven't heard it on any of the other shows, but you know, Jordan Peterson told the story of like how the SS came to be or how like regular B cops in Poland gassed Jews in Nazi Germany during the occupation. And we're seeing, we're seeing that happen again in a, in a place like Australia. This is not hyperbole. This is not an overstatement. This not is human all. nature and we would be, and we're doomed to repeat it because the left won't learn. Um, and so, so like we're, we're witnessing like the worst elements of human nature kind of take its course. And because of the level of technology that we have, they're able to wield it over a larger distance, but we're also able to witness it too. And, and if you don't take from that, that you have to make yourself as strong as you can, you will be left behind and you will not have anything. That, that, that could mean in a box, you know, like everybody likes to talk about box. It, it, it might not even be box cars, dude. And that's like, kind of just like an internet meme. And it's kind of silly. Right. Yeah. Like it, what if you're just stuck in a dead end job for forever? That's, that's a kind of hell in and of itself. Does the world really need to end for you to be living in a post-apocalyptic nightmare? I don't think so. I've seen, I've seen the evidence that that's not the case. Um, so like it, it's not unique to libertarianism. It's just the answer, right? It's good dogma. Make yourself better and work on yourself and don't, and, and we've, but, and the part of the problem is we've been trained to we've we've been trained to submit ourselves to the authority and to the will of others. Again, that's a high and that's a hijacking a natural capacity we have, right? Like, and it's and good hierarchies are good. You should follow people who can help make you a better person. What I'm trying what I was trying to drive at is like if if it's not handed to you, you don't get to take it. So if the system does if if the society, if the system, if if the regime doesn't hand it to you, you don't get to take it. Right. If you don't get the three radio jobs in your town, you don't get to have a voice. If you don't, if you don't get accepted into a PhD program, you don't get to be a philosopher. Not really. Right. You don't really have something to say because you don't have our credential. You don't have the thing that makes you that makes you part of the part of what this is. Right. Like that's and, and like I lived under that delusion for a long period of time. Right. Like I was like, truth be told, I was kind of I kind of thought I was a dumbass for most of my life. And then, like, as I got older and I had the Internet, I realized I just learned differently than most people. And I don't do well in like certain strict, certain strict environments. Like I was never a good student ever a day in my life. I don't, I, but but I will sit I will challenge any academic to come and have a conversation with me about about everyday life and about like things that can make it better and and, and in trying to incorporate larger ideas into that I, I, I and i'd be happy to have the conversation this isn't about trying to win it's just a reality of how of, of kind of like who we are and the level of technological advancement is such that we actually get that opportunity going back to this question of identity for most of human history it's been answered for you right like you know i am i am I am uh, Patrick, son of Air. I am Patrick, son of Patrick. I'm Patrick Fitzpatrick. I am you know, like right, like it, this. That that's who you are. That's all you are, right? I serve. I serve the king. That's who you are. Like identity has been answered for most people throughout most of history, and we still. And and America is just a unique anomaly in that respect, right? Because if you were to go to other countries, they have a far deeper sense of nationalism, national identity than we do. And it's far more concrete, especially like, you know, like what comes to mind because of like some of the work that I do, but like Japan, right? Like the Jap, the Japanese are the Japanese. They have their own culture, their own way of talking about things, the own, their own way of doing things. And it's complementary in, in some respects to American culture, but it's still different. And you have to, and you know, if you, if you interact with people from different cultures, you have to learn how to navigate that. But so like, and, but that makes up a big part of their identity and there's, and so again, 
just to reiterate it, but the the world we live in now, I think, has expanded identity in some sense, and 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 maybe in other sense molded it, right? And one of the things that Jordan Peterson pointed out, and that I think is really needs to be talked about more as well, and this fits into the libertarian question as well, but is just this idea of like the easier things get, the more biological differences maximize. And the more biological differences maximize, the less you can do about it because it's bio- biological, man. It's not the case that it's something like that's easily fixed. It's not something you can do by like, I don't know, by like, by like, you can't, you can't fix it with education after a certain point. You can fix it. You can fix it with culture. But again, what kind of a culture? Yeah, no, it's like uh, the Jordan Peterson thing. Like that he he did. I remember listening to him talk about um, like his breakdown of Nazi Germany, which I mean, Nazi Germany has just been covered to such exhaustion that it's rare that you actually get a unique and good take on it. But when he was talking about uh, the book, um, a few good men, English policemen, and it's like, well, we're gonna look at anybody, and anybody who doesn't want to do some nasty things is free to go home. And they all stayed, you know, it's like he, he has that lecture, but it's like, damn, if he's not, if he's not right about that, like it's, um, it, it's really incredible. And, and as far as where things go, like you're talking about the epistemology, see, I, I'm falling into this trap in this conversation. Like you have like a really well laid out, like argument here where you're kind of like going uh, stream of consciousness. And I'm like, I'm trying to hop back and cover like a few things that you talked about while I'm not totally getting fine. tangled up myself, but, but uh, I want to touch on everything. Cause I, I want to go back to a few things you said, but it is a, uh, it is an interesting thing. Like uh, the, the biggest takeaway I had from what you said was, um, you know, you don't want to be left in the dust here. Like the, the world is changing. And when you were talking about the, the pivotal moments in history where things are changing, I, I remember feeling that in 2016, where I, I remember one night I was, baked out of my mind and watching the Lord of the Rings for the thousandth time in my life. And are you a fan of Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings movies? Yes. I'm actually a, a friend of mine is a fanatic and I read them when I was a kid. I was always more of a CS Lewis guy. Um, but that's just, my dad loved those books and I love, I love the Chronicles yeah. of Narnia, but I actually do kind of want to like reread them. It's on my list. You know, I want to watch the movies though. It's sitting, I have HBO max now. So Oh, dude, you got to do it because there's there's a beginning, the very opening of the first movie. I remember I was sitting on the couch, baked out of my mind and watching it. And the narrator comes out and it's like the world is changing. It's like I can I can feel it in the air. I can I can smell it in the earth. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I remember just hearing that line. I'm like, oh, shit, we're living through one of those right now. Like there there is something we're we're going through a sea change. And there when you're talking about like the the identity thing, um, that's why I said that like I've been drifting away from that label as a, a useful tool because it's, I, I really don't see it that way. Like I'm, I'm more than just like my political ideology. And like you said, also in the past, it wasn't that important of a thing. And I, I think now it unfortunately is out of necessity because I mean, you make a statement about your political identity. Now, when you go into a grocery store based on if you're covering your face or not, like it's not it's even becoming a thing. Can that's, you hear me by the way? Yeah. Okay, cool. Because my my computer went weird, so I lost my screen, but my camera's still working, obviously. And as long as we got audio, we're good. Um, but I mean, not even not even covering your face, covering your face properly. Like th- yeah. this is this is how religions are born. And I know it's a, it almost seems cliche to talk about this in terms of religiosity, but this is like if you've ever wondered why Muslim women wear the hijab, if you've ever wondered why Orthodox men where the kippah and where they're where the curls down by the side and the frail and the and i'm sorry i don't i can't remember the names it's been so long since i've studied this but you know the ropes on on the on the legs and different things like that they, look around you that's how this is happening yeah that's that that is what's happening at the moment um this is it, it like it is it is a religious ritual for people at this point because again like i just said it's not even covering your face you and I live in a state where people will come and, and nobody ever has with me except like family members, which is interesting, but kind of makes sense. Um, like nobody's ever really pushed that issue with me except family members um, with like cover your nose, you know, or something like that. Cause I hate, I hate doing it if I, if I wear a mask at all, <laughs> but it's, 
But again, like you just said, if I walk into a grocery store without wearing one, people can make a lot of assumptions about me. And are those the assumptions that I want people to make? Well, it kind of depends, right? It depends on my mood and it depends on it depends on how safe I feel in the situation. And I think that's something, again, that's lost in the uh, the ideological dogmatism, which says, like, you have to fight, you have to resist. And it's you also have to survive. There, like you do. Otherwise, I like I'm not interested in death cults. Sorry. Like or martyrdom. A, I actually don't mind dying for God. But well, okay. I mean, of, I mean that in the the sort of the way that we're calling I mass like God. a religious article. I mean, like martyrdom yeah. for your political ideology, not actual martyrdom, like by textbook definition. But I, I and I know I knew by the, for the record I knew exactly what you meant, but I just wanted to put it in those terms, right? Yes. It's like no, I can. I'm. I have no like. There was somebody I, I tweeted out recently. Um, I think I tweeted out today, like, I don't want to be your enemy, so don't make me one. Because like, like, which is fair warning to anybody listening to this. But the other thing I tweeted out was if you have a if you have a family member who supports the mandates and passports and things of that nature, if you have a family member like that, it would be better if you spent time convincing them you weren't a threat than trying to be right in the conver- in a conversation with them. It's, that's that's more important than anything and like interchange family member with a spouse or with like your close friend group what what have you like why become why become the thing your enemy wants you to be the unhinged radical vying for vying for valhalla why why do you want to be that like it does that that, that doesn't make sense to me surviving does being a good person does being somebody that's dependable does. But like, again, again, the, Oh, and this, and this is the point I was going to make. Somebody was like, you know, you just got to confront people. I can't remember what he says. I don't want to, I'm misquoting him on purpose, but like it, it was something to the effect of, it was something to the effect of like, you know, you have to be doing, you have to be willing to do what's necessary. And that I'm like, Hey, listen, I'm sure you're great at family parties. And he's like, you know, whatever, it's their fault if they don't understand. And I'm like, you know, like, and you just don't get it. You don't know what to do. You won't know what to do in the kind of time. I was like, dude, you have zero clue. Cause I didn't know who this person was to boot. Like you have zero idea what I'm capable of. You have zero idea of what I'm willing to do. And, and same goes for everybody listening. So like it, so when I say this whole question of like, like, I don't, I don't like this bridging of the religious into this, into this set of ideas. Again, like I have no issues. I have no issues standing up for what is right, but what that looks like is different for different people. And I'm not going to tell the. I'm not going to tell somebody with nothing to fall back on to take a stand in a certain respect. Yeah. yeah. Right. No, I, I completely get that, and that's where um, I would say that a few years ago, uh, I was guilty of kind of cheerleading this kind of collapsitarian thing where I'm like, oh, we're going to have hyperinflation, but it's okay because I own some silver and gold and Bitcoin and guns and I'm going to I'm going to be a king, you know, after, you know, post collapse. And, you know, fast forward a few years, especially now that I have a child on the way, I'm like, no, instability and collapse of civilization does not sound all that fun. Um, You know, I don't want to be forced into any, uh, you know, COVID lollipop. Is that is that the code word? that's uh, going around for the wanking. Um, but it's like, yeah, I don't want to be forced into anything like that. I'm trying to find that balance where it's like, okay, I need stability and I need to provide for my family. Um, so it's not that I'm not willing to push back on, on all of the things that are going on in the world, but also I'm not going to cheer on collapse. Like I want insulation from all of the volatility in the world. I want to seal myself away from all of that craziness as much as possible while still trying to communicate with people, while while taking those family members that you mentioned that are supporting some pretty rancid policy, and trying to just like you can you can affect more change rather than like going on some Tom Woods style uh, you know explanation of like mask mandates and their failure. You could be way more influential in the world if you just go out and you do, you're not wearing your mask or whatever, and you're just outwardly friendly to people and you ask them how their day's going and you're just a, a good person. It's like people that will influence people. It's like, uh, you know, the, the book, um, I'm drawing a blank on the, the author, but how to win friends and influence people. It's like, it's Carnegie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Carnegie. Carnegie. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's like, that's, that's the real thing. It's like, and it's an old cliche idea and maybe that's why people are bored with it and they don't want to hear it, but it's just be the change you want to see in the world. It's like, that's what, you know, all of the, you talked about how dogma, the, the longer dogma lasts, the more true it probably is. And it's like, these are some of the fundamental tenets of Christianity. It's like, just go out there and treat people with, with kindness and forgiveness and compassion and that's going to yield the best result. And if we do that on a mass scale, I think that's how we actually win this is just let's, let's just be the better humans. And I think that's what's actually going to affect change in this world right now. No, I think, I think that's, I think that's all brilliant. And, um, what I would say, and, and, uh, there was something you just said that connected to my, the conception of, um, oh gosh. Oh, you were, t- you were talking about Christianity, and I was going to bring up that Montaigne is one of my f- is is a philosopher who I really like, and he was a Renaissance skeptic, um, and he you know his conclusion was that we can't really know anything, so we have to kind of rely on the grace of God. Uh, so, like again, just kind of drawing the point out towards the question you asked earlier about skepticism and postmodernism is that it's something that's occurred generationally, pretty continuously. But that that kind of is a decent jumping off point, just as a quick aside of like you know, a lot of people are talking about the enlightenment right now. And, you know, you know, is this the end of the enlightenment period? What, what maybe, who knows? Um, but one thing that the enlightenment got wrong and not that it, and actually maybe not everybody got wrong, but maybe some of the big ones did. And like the popular ma- narrative that came out of it. Right. Cause it's just, this, these things are always so complicated. <laughs> there's nothing more complicated than human civilization. Um, and, a, and, a, and there's also nothing more complicated than perhaps one human mind even. Um, but like, so they talked a lot about instinct and reason, right? And so the idea was if that you removed instinct and you focused on reason, we could create a better world, a better society, better men, so on and so forth. I think they missed a very important point, which is that faith, faith is just as much about how we operate in the world as humans than our instinct and our reason does. And that's what I mean when I talk about my Trinitarian approach. If you go to binawake.com, I believe it's still available for free. It might go behind the paywall soon, but that's going to get released as a ebook soon enough the first year. But I, I wrote, I write about this in the Zenith of enlightenment where I'm talking about this Trinitarianism. I also talked about it with Tommy Sammons a bit as well um, on years on the year zero podcast. Cause he was interested in it, but like basically we have these three, like this Trinitarianism. Like if you put that, Right. If you think of a Venn diagram, right, you can have a Venn diagram with three circles. It just makes more intersections and more points and it makes things more complicated uh, as a result. And that's I don't know. I don't know how much time we want to spend on that, but that's another element of what I've been trying to, like, introduce to people to give you a frame how to, like, operate and interact with people. Um, And yeah, so. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, we're, we're just starting to scratch the surface on this. Unfortunately, um, I do have to wrap pretty soon here. So uh, LB, we, we covered a lot of ground tonight and uh, this, this conversation went as deep as I'd hoped based on, you know, what I'd heard from you and, and heard about you from people that I have talked to and like, so uh, we'll have to do a part two to this because I feel like we're just getting to the juicy stuff here. Absolutely. Yeah. And then your, uh, you know, your co-host can come and say whatever trash they've been talking to my face. <laughs> All right. Um, you want to plug your, your sub stack, been awake, anything else you want to tell people to follow you? Absolutely. I am the minds behind the been awake podcast for better sense making been awake.com, which is a sub stack newsletter where I give out news mindset and philosophy. Please go subscribe with your email address at been You can find me on all social media at the LB Muniz. All right. Awesome. LB, uh, we're going to wrap right there. So have a good one. Hell yeah. All right. We'll see you guys. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.